Deities and gentle beasts, how do you do? My name is Kynan Culture Clap, and thank you so very much for joining me as we step into Season 2 of the 5QI Podcast. I've got two conversations already recorded, the first of which is with an artificial intelligence. Beautiful, amazing conversation. The second of which I wanted to send out a snippet a bit quicker, as I had the opportunity to speak with one Hong Kong, as he is known on the internet. He is also one of the co-founding members of news media collective, Unicorn Riot, and most recently has been helping to bring additional context, details, and access to the internet regarding the trial of Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who was videotaped murdering George Floyd in the summer of 2020. So without any further ado, introducing Hong Pong to give us an update on how the trial's going entering week three. Thank you for giving that overview of RMS. Yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and also just kind of this latest uh, review of, of your edu- educational foundations. Um, yeah. Real quick update, and, and you know, I mean, don't have to talk about it for too long or whatnot, but we've been, we've been going on. I love chatting with you, Dan. It's it's good to catch up, you know. Not gonna it really lie. is. It's, um, yeah, it's good, good to unpack these things and think about your place in the world and how things develop, you know. I mean, to, to, to be honest, for those listening, you're, you're kind of just sitting here on a third party of Dan and I catching up as we occasionally get to do. Um, yes. But... Uh, give me your insights on the on the on the Chauvin trial, if you would, if you could. Thoughts? Yes, that's a great question. So again, you know, I helped uh, create a system so that we could present the video from this, pull it in, push it out, uh, and you know, I've never sat through a murder trial before. Certainly not in Minnesota. You know, the court system in Minnesota is not accessible. Like some some states have a lot more video camera access. Minnesota has allowed audio, I guess, in appeals court, I think, and, okay. and sort of, so they opened up a little bit of AV access in some levels of the court, but never criminal trials like this, never, never in the state. And so because of COVID, they basically were like, okay, you know, we can't even have family members in court, really, we can only have one family member at a time. So we have to like, allow this out on the video system. And it, it was such a big deal. So so Derek Chauvin, you know, he killed George Floyd. He slowly got charged with murder. And uh, I think what's signif- part of what's significant is that the Hennepin County attorney, Mike Freeman, got pulled off of the case. Mike Freeman had the option to arrest Chauvin on probable cause manslaughter pretty quickly, and he didn't take it. And, and that was – and that – created a lot more unrest than I think people realize. And I, I found that to be like a very avoidable, you know, circumstance, right? Well, Freeman's like, been doing this for God knows how yes. long. I mean, he's, Absolutely. He, he's, I mean, he, he's, he's, I mean, he's, he's also, uh, dare we say a legacy admit to, to the position to a degree of, of, that's correct. That's correct. Minnesota is a very small place, and these little power families have a lot of power. And Mike Freeman is on that list of those power families, and that that is relevant. And 
so so he basically Freeman got kind of pulled out of being able to prosecute this thing. And it's crazy because even Freeman's press release about the charging basically gave the life to the defense's attempt now to just blame everything on drugs. And Freeman himself and the way that he put out those stuff in the very beginning was already mapping out the landscape, the, the exit path for Chauvin's defense. And and it's just like, Jesus, dude, like when you really look at it, like that's, well, that's one thing, which. And I, I mean, not to, I mean, again, just, I mean, for a moment, just want to take a moment of appreciation for the contributions of, of, of Earl DMX Simmons, mm-hmm. who tragically recently passed away and, and and we don't want to throw any shade on it, but it is ironic to note that if if I'm not mistaken, uh, Freeman has also struggled with alcoholism. Oh well, well, yeah, he's. Um, I I know that at some point, like he had to take a leave of absence, sort of recently, you know. And it's like, well, okay, man, but haven't like he's basically been there in that role since Amy Klobuchar left, you know, and and, and in local government in Minnesota, people stay put in these roles a long time. And they call themselves liberals and Democrats while doing so. Yeah. And, and they're, you know, but they're very, everyone is, especially because it's, it can be nonpartisan roles, which is a whole thing about Minnesota history. I won't get into, but um, the, it, it is very static and it is very clear how people line up with certain interest groups. And then over time, they'll just become, you know, usually tighter and tighter with the police, really. Like yeah. that seems to be what usually happens. Like, uh, if, for example, uh, Phyllis Kahn was a reformer in her time when she got in in the early 70s, like a pretty left wing person. But she got progressively more and more tighter with Brian Rice and the police lobby over the years, and then Ilhan Omar managed to beat her in a primary. Yeah. And, and that, that's one example at the state legislature level I can think of, of someone who was really pretty far left. Um, and so so you see that with people that don't start that far left as well. And, you know, one thing, um, uh, Merjan Sadar, a contributor to Unicorn Riot, did some pieces for us about the kind of the 21st century Jim Crow in the North Star City, sort of looking at the history and how when R.T. Ryback was mayor and Amy Klobuchar was the Hennepin County attorney, that they worked with the Target Corporation and built out a much bigger surveillance system and created something called the Downtown 100 that they were claiming were these violent criminals that had to be controlled. But it was really all, you know, much more like livability and like you know, vandalism and homelessness, but they were acting like it was, you know, urban crime, right? And then that that created this kind of really aggressive control system in, in downtown Minneapolis. And then the Target Corporation, it, you know, they don't just pay to have police stand in front of the store. They were actually paying to add more prosecutors to Klobuchar's office to throw the book at more people. Jesus. So they, so they kind of lied about, or definitely shaded it about how, you know, instead of finding ways to, you know, do any kind of restorative justice or whatever, it's like, let's just keep throwing the book at more people, build more surveillance, track people, build a a camera network, you know, and, and so that approach, uh, you know, I think we could argue, you know, 
creates the foundation for the stuff like the George Floyd uprising, right? Like these, yeah. these developments happen over time. And so I think that that's in the big picture, that's sort of what I've been trying to look at again, because it's, it's just sort of a ge- geography style accumulation of systems. And it may not be obvious how they accumulate when you stand here in 2021, but when you try to look back and analyze, then you, you sort of can get some more depth to those systems and how they came about and who was involved. So, so I just wanted to sort of back it out a little bit in terms of the development of the city and that level. Uh, we had someone else point out that, you know, when the Super Bowl came, like that adds more surveillance technology, national oh, special security events, the 2008 Republican National Convention, that was a hugely significant thing for me. It was significant for a lot of people, just in terms of how that went down, whole other story, and big story. And so, so yeah, there's a whole depth to this this type of thing. And and so, and, it, and it's also, it's tough to, for me to see that, you know, the, the city, you know, it's been traumatic, there's been so much damage, and, and, and I'm, I'm not there. Yeah. you know, but that's where I'm f- from, you know, so it's, it's tough to see all of that happening. Question. And, then. Yeah. So now look, getting back to the trial, looking yeah. at the present and the future, how are things going with the trial? Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so, so I guess what I was getting at is like the, the environment around the trial. It's just, mm-hmm. it's tough to see that, right? The fortress, the military, oh, yeah. you know, it looms over everything and it's just, and it's, it's, that's very stressful, you know, friends affected by the stress of the helicopters, the noise, you know, stuff like that. So to me, the trial is very bound up in, in that stuff. It's not just the proceedings in that one courtroom, but in terms of the courtroom itself, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, you know, it seemed to me that it seemed to me that the state, you know, but by, it, they needed to kind of walk people into the space and sort of show them the witnesses, the main people that were directly there. And they then had to kind of go to like the state, you know, these, these police trainers and stuff talking about use of force and, and, and kind of earlier this week. So there's been two full weeks at this point. Mm-hmm. And in this, in this second week, apart from the jury selection, which was very long, yeah. it took more than two weeks. And that's, that was its own, really crazy ball of wax for sure. But I would say for this phase that, you know, the the state was able to sort of strongly say, you know, this is very tough. Like, like we're going to go have to go through all of this. These are these witnesses. Everyone was shocked that this was happening in front of them. Then when it moves into the police training, some of that was kind of ambiguous. And what's important to know is that, you know, reasonable doubt is supposed to be the standard in criminal trials, which is, uh, different than, uh, you know, preponderance of evidence or other standards that might be harder to hit. And so, so a civil trial might have a kind of easier time of laying responsibility on Chauvin's desk. A, a civil trial might be easier to, to, yep. to nail Chauvin yeah. than a, cr- a criminal trial. And so they charged him with manslaughter with, I believe, third and second degree murder. And, and third and second degree murder are, you know, pretty aggressive concepts, obviously, like, you know, they're much higher bars than manslaughter to get to. And so the state has to lay all those things that pull up to that bar. And then the defense has to inject reasonable doubt into it. And and there's also the approach that Nelson has, I guess there was a Supreme Who's Court. Nelson? Case. Sorry, yes, Eric Nelson is uh, Derek Chauvin's main defense attorney. Thank you. 
So he's the main guy running this thing. And then the, the state has a large team of attorneys. And then Nelson is very, very much the one face of the defense. And so what Nelson's doing is something that's been happening since the 80s. And there was a big Supreme Court case whose name escapes me right now. But that case was decided in the idea that, and it was around the Fourth Amendment and stuff like that. And they just, the court unanimously said, what a reasonable officer might do in a situation is the predominant question that should be decided. And that means whatever is scaring an officer in that moment is now what matters. It doesn't even really matter what the officer did. It's like, oh, was he freaked out by the noise of these people that were yelling at him? You know, and like that type of thinking. And, and, and so for, you know, 30 years or so, that's been dominating this whole legal area, right? This whole idea that, oh, well, you know, a reasonable officer could have thought this at the time, so he had to kill that person. That, that <laughs> logic has been running across this whole thing. And I guess I didn't realize until the other day that came from a specific Supreme Court decision. And so everything Nelson does hooks into that idea. And then that like crystallized it for me. The nation had a good piece sort of breaking that down that like that was a turning point in this process and if there hadn't been so many video clips right because you had several bystander videos you have these police body cams and for that matter Nelson or um Chauvin himself remembers to shut off his body cam like right as um you know he's talking to his commanding officer you know he thinks to like shut it off or whatever like the, the sergeant you know Obscenity. I know. And I was like, well, that was a big flurry of events, but you still have the presence of mind to shut that off. But that's that's Minneapolis Police Department policy. They're allowed to do that when they're on the phone with their superior. They can just shut off the thing and not have a recording, you know, and 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 that's the policy, you know, and so it wasn't out of policy for him to do that. And so. So all of this, you know, being mapped out. So what was I thought that the first week you know, moved pretty strongly through things. Like it really spelled out a lot of the, 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 the how traumatic obviously it was for all yep. these witnesses. Really tough to watch that. And, and then um, into this earlier part of the second week, um, you know, we saw some p- p- pretty mixed stuff from some of the police, like use of force experts, because they were giving some openings that Nelson has been looking for to say, oh, well, you know, his knee is really more on the shoulder blades, not the neck at this point. And like, you know, sometimes you got to do this, but, you know, you do have to evaluate your circumstances, like the, basically like the Supreme Court says. And, and, and so, so it seemed to me that Nelson got a bunch of openings, and especially I think on either Monday or Tuesday this past week. But then, um, and then in, in Thursday and Friday, they sort of move into the medical examiner stuff because everything is, you know, Nelson, again, is determined to try to blame the, the drugs and not um, his client actions. And it was it was interesting on Thursday, uh, a, a doctor from Ireland who's a renowned specialist in respiratory science and has, you know, written the, literally the textbook on, on a lot of this stuff you know, really explain clearly, not just what Chauvin was doing, but what the other officers were doing, were just eliminating that lung capacity. And it was almost like, 
this scientist who really hasn't been involved much in trials, apparently in his career, was taking this opportunity to um, to undermine the false police science. Like there's a lot of false yeah. sciences in the training, right? And 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 I've I've tried to highlight uh, what's called like killology and and, and the stuff that. Uh, Geronimo Yanez, who is the officer that, that shot Philando Castile and uh, who was acquitted. Killed Philando, killed Philando Castile. Let's not, right. let's not. Killed, killed with a lot of bullets. A yeah, lot of bullets. I mean, just reckless. I mean, that's the thing. I'm sorry. I'm not here to humanize police officers. When they kill people, they kill people. They don't shoot people. A bullet did not collide with somebody. They pulled right. the goddamn trigger with the goddamn bat because they know they could do it and the person died. And that's what they damn near wanted. It's there's horrifying. That, there's that crazy PR language, like officer-involved shooting, oh like a, a bullet, a bullet collided with a suspect, <laughs> or like that yeah. weird super passive voice is crazy, and that's how it's been managed. And and the you know the Philando Castile, his killing also happened super directly on video. But uh-huh. Yanez, and Yanez had been trained in killology, is why I'm bringing this up. Like, like he was trained in this ideology of like a fusillade of weapons. Like, like you're going to get wasted unless you mow this person down right away. And he'd been through that training before he did that, you know? And like, so, so, so it wasn't necessarily just like a random thing that happened. It was like the Minneapolis post board, which is the training board said that killology material could get you credits, you know, and they approved it. And so, the activist cats, you know, uh, communities united against police brutality, and the other folks that work in this space had to fight the post board a lot and use the Castile Castile's killing as a thing to say, "Hey, post board, you have to stop doing this." And they do the trainings down at the Mall of America, hmm. you know. And there was a there was a big protest there, and and and, and so that uh, and then the killology documents, we were able to get a copy of them, and you can see how absurd they are. And this is why American police are wasting people like this and doing this. And so, but it was hard to fight the post board to overturn that training regime. Did they succeed in that? Yes. Wonderful. Killology did get dropped. And, and, and so again, so I, so I think it's like, so things like killology and these other doctrines, like to me, I thought, Oh, maybe this, uh, this nice Irish doctor is kind of also taking this opportunity to say like, look, I'm a respiratory scientist. Like, like this, what the police have been trained to do, like what the police do in terms of respiration actually works this way. Like he was pointing out for, you know, for example, when he says, when Floyd says like that, he can't breathe that, um, you know, people, people in a reactionary frame of mind are trained to think that that's a lie. Like if you can say that, yes. he can still breathe. But the reality is you can still say that when you're down to like, I think he said 15% capacity, you can still get those words out, even though you're already past 80% loss. Right. And, and then that's, that's the scientific reality here. And, and, but there's a conventional wisdom that's like, Oh, that's, that's bullshit, man. He could still talk, you know? And like, that's the kind of thing which, um, you know, which, which I thought was very striking. And I, and I think that did a lot to bolster the state's case because also he said, you know, um, opiates or fentanyl or whatever uh, will, will tend to depress the rate of people's breathing. And you can see from uh, tracing the breathing and looking at how exactly what's happening with breathing that, that 
that George Floyd's breath was not depressed, like as a central nervous ah. system depressant, there wasn't enough, there's no evidence of that happening because his range of breathing speed before he gets crushed is still right in the normal range. It's not in this depressed opiate range. And, and that, again, I think was, I think that was very important to um, undermining the narrative that the, that, that defense attorney Nelson is really counting on. So what we have coming up, um, mm-hmm. and then I, I had to take care of some other things. So I missed a lot of the stuff on Thursday and Friday, but that those are, I think, some of the key things from last week. Yep. So, but I'll be back in it this next coming week. And, and so... Um, this this trial is supposedly going to be four weeks. Yes, so we're okay. supposedly halfway yep. plus deliberations. And another another little tidbit I know is that um, the, the 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 verdict will not come out late in the afternoon. So if they get it at like three o'clock, they'll hold it to the next morning. They do okay. not want they do not want verdicts to drop late at night because they just you know, in terms of crowd management or whatever. That's another little thing that I'm apparently aware of. Oh, of course. And, and, and then so, um, so it's, you know, it'll be tough to see because, you know, the defense gets to put on a case. They don't, they don't have to put Chauvin on, on the stand. They're not going to do it, but they're going to try to have their own people, including a doctor. The intercept is a big, I think a big piece about this doctor who is, you know, who basically reported a similar situation that the police were fine or whatever, you know, a similar type of crushing thing. And he is an exponent of this concept called excited delirium, which has started going around. And excited delirium is, you know, one of these, uh, basically one of these concepts to pathologize people that are being crushed by a system. It's not that different than, you know, Indian savages or whatever. It's a very or similar concept. Mania. Which one? Draptomania, which is oh, when, yes. when slaves would run away, they said that they had a mental illness because they didn't want to be slaves anymore. Right, right. And I only learned about that one recently, but it feel, it's all that same kind of stuff, you know? And and it's like, you just hope that like things like this get addressed in a trial like this, that like these kind of concepts don't just like stick so easily. And that they get challenged as well as like the charges and the, and the facts and the questions of the law and all that stuff. So, so the jury the jury will evaluate the facts and not the law. And and so, so so what happens, you know, is that the defense will be able to put on its own case. They seem to have this this you know, uh, you know, it, it's like a I don't know if it's a forensic examiner or you know there's a lot of different technical names for these different yeah. types of doctors and scientists and forensics people but this guy is someone who's has promoted excited delirium who's helped protect police in very similar cases in maryland just you know cases where there wasn't so much video evidence right this is why this is why this is treated differently this says video evidence when this is similar things that have happened so many times before that aren't treated with video evidence so the questions that get addressed in this trial are very different than other types of trials where there weren't video evidence. And so the defense would have all this other area to play with, you know, Yeah. but, but so, so it's going to be tough because we will see the defense will get to put its case on all these witnesses so far are the state's witnesses. They are people laying out, giving foundation of different things for the state. Um, one other interesting th- thing, which, you know, we'll see is uh, the, the, person who was the manager or maybe possibly owner i'm not super up on this person yep. but they were they were in charge of 
uh, Nuevo Rodeo, which was like a restaurant where apparently Floyd and Chauvin worked at the same time, and she's on the witness list. And she said she had said that they worked together at some point. Like she made some public statements about this. Yeah. And so, so I'm wondering. I'm like, you know, does the state want to introduce this person just because? does it mean that they actually did know each other because then that would open up like like oh he recognized you know Chauvin might have recognized Floyd from that job where they didn't get along right and they might have known because Minneapolis is a small town right people do cross yeah absolutely too small and 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 then this is highlighted that off-duty police officers have all this presence and latitude and sway over you know, the nightclubs and Pizza Luce, and they're very omnipresent, right? And, and like, this has put that into highlight because Chauvin was one of those dudes. And so I'm wondering, will this person testify that they maybe did know each other? Or maybe not. You know, we'll see. Some, there's something up in that. Whose witness yeah. list is she on, defense or prosecutions? Uh, there's a huge list of 400 possible witnesses. Oh, shit. And I, I don't know, but I know it's like, it's sort of like one list, I guess. So... Oh. So there's that, um, you know, and it's in it. So there's, you know, there's a pool media system. So there's these different reporters go in. Um, our organization is not in the pool, but different reporters go in and then produce pool notes. And they're watching the jurors, right? Because the jurors are not visible on the video, but the reporters can see them. Yes. And so, so, so they're tabulating. And I thought, I saw like the court TV reporter did a really great job, you know, just like, under you know crisply like the the how these people are acting like what are they paying attention to like when do they take notes like who seems tuned out you know because they've been having anxiety and sometimes you know uh psychological issues from how intense it is right like and, and so the judge is really you know i think trying to avoid a mistrial right he's trying to um and i think it's not always obvious, but I think that some of the time when he does things that are kind of confusing, some of that is aimed at preventing a mistrial, I think, you know, and not, you know, allowing appeals to get it reversed, right? Because you don't want, um, you know, for the sake of everybody, you really don't want some weird technicality to, like, reverse the case, you know? You really don't want it to get opened up again. You at least want some outcome that doesn't, like, crumble because of some freaking legal details you know and and so i mean it it seems like that's sort of going okay i guess but he also gets really grumpy in the afternoon and sometimes he's kind of blown blown up at people after four o'clock all of a sudden and and it's like it's like you got to realize mr judge like people are recounting like the most traumatic event in their lives you know like every detail of it like they're like they're going to be emotional about it you know but he's it blew up at the firefighter at the end of the day, you know, earlier on. And then, and then like, she came back the next morning and then it was over in like two minutes. And you're like, what the hell was that about? You know? (laughs) And, and because, because the firefighter, you know, like the other witnesses was not in a mood for the defense to be bullshitting, you know? And that kind of was what happened. Like there was a degree of argumentativeness because it was a very emotional moment. And the judge was just so mad at her, like all of a sudden and, um, and ended court that day, you know? And so that was just an example of uh, the, 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 the trickiness of how hard it is for those, the eyewitnesses to deal with what they saw. So, but it's going to be tough because the tail end will consist of 
the defense laying out its defenses and trying to find scientists, people that agree that, you know, it wasn't the crushing on the neck. It was really just like overdoses or whatever. Now, and, do you think that we're going to see any of the people that were in your QA non documentary show up in the trial? Just kidding. Sorry. Oh my God. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think, but it's, I mean, it is that they have, it, it, it is the defensive's job and they're probably going to pull from the loony bin. Yeah, well, the, those people show up in the chat room saying everyone's a crisis actor, which is ridiculous. Oh, um, but you know, it's like it's like this. This is America. Like stuff like this happens. It just doesn't usually get filmed this badly. You know, like this does happen on a regular basis around this country. This type of thing, um, and it's just it's a consequence of structures and individual decisions coming together to make these tragedies. Um, but but yeah, I think you know it's it's going to be interesting, but there's, you know, I think that people who observe police trials and attempts at police accountability more than me know that there's a lot of games they play with the science and, yep. and, and that type of thing. So, you know, we're going to, we're, we're definitely going to, I just assume that that will kind of be the bulk of whatever the defense Before. starts dri- driving and, you know, it'll probably be, what probably at least seven days worth of that stuff but it does seem like the trial i guess it seems to be running on schedule like they ended early on the first friday and so um i don't think that the trial is stretching out of its you know you know whole month right which is a long time but you know it's it's a murder like there's so many levels of detail there's the planning detail there's medical detail there's eyewitness detail you know there's so there's so many levels of detail that everyone gets walked through and it's like kind of overwhelming, obviously. Um, and, uh, and it's also been very cool. Uh, you know, my, my reporter colleagues at Unicorn Riot really have done such a great job. They've actually made huge tweet threads on Twitter. And I think we've seen a lot of nice feedback from people because, and what I find too, when I'm trying to work on producing this, that the audio can be very wrenching, right? Like in replaying the, the police videos, yeah, um, the audio of Mr. Floyd and all that stuff is really tragic material and harrowing. And, and, um, and so people, a lot of people feel the need to keep tabs on the back and forth of it, but they don't want that really what, what can cause like vicarious trauma, which there's yeah. a lot of symptoms of vicarious trauma. It's a very real thing. I won't go into all the details of it, but that's a real issue with this type of material. And so what's been good about the Twitter account is that our, my colleagues have done such a, you know, they try to catch most of the twists and turns, not a whole transcription, but like the back and forth, what's significant, these lines of questioning. And, And that's given people who want to keep track of this thing, but can't, don't want to be exposed to this, the, the, to me especially the audio of it it's it lets them get that yeah uh, those facts out of it in a digestible way and and so it's i've been very happy to see that we've been able to connect on that level and 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 um you know have that space for people and stuff so it's uh that's been very good because it is hard to process all of that so um okay we're rounding up on two hours but i mean if, if you still got a moment i got one more question sure What's up with the subpoena? Okay. Uh... Well, hello again. Thank you so very much for listening. If you'd like to hear more conversations, feel free to visit anchor.fm slash culture dash clap. 
or just take a look for Culture Clap on your favorite music and podcast platform. If you'd like to support my work, please visit dreamfreely.org slash F500. That's right, I'm looking for my first 500 supporters. After that, I think I'm going to draw a cap, as we've got some work to do. (laughs) And that being said, without any further ado, I have some work to do. So once again, thank you so very much for joining me as we stepped into Season 2 of the 5QI Podcast. I'm your host, Canon Culture Clap, and until next time, safe travels, light, and plenty of laughter.